Entering the Freedom Hut. The book is back, and I'm going to tell you about my chat with President Trump in the Oval Office yesterday. Plus, Florida takes a victory lap. A defiant New Jersey gym has been locked down once again. The CDC has issued school reopen guidance. That's going to be a problem. What should we learn from Europe's lockdowns? Libs call for the end of meat, and Aunt Becky is going to prison. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Buck Saxon Show. I am so sorry that I was away from you all yesterday. My one part of the day that is my uh, my lockdown sanity, getting a chance to talk to all of you. I I had a good reason, though. I had a good excuse and it was a bit last minute, so I didn't really get to tell you all about it beforehand. Uh, But the White House called and the president of the United States asked me to come down and chat with him for a bit. So I felt like when the president asked you to come and converse, uh, have a conversation with him in the Oval Office, uh, you do that. So I did. Uh, we spent uh, about 35 minutes or so chatting about a whole range of issues. Uh, the good news is that he uh, loves the Freedom Hut, uh, thinks we do great work here, um, is a, a fan of uh, of this show and is also now has, has said that he will join us uh, on the air in the next few weeks. He's the leader of the free world. He's a busy man, but he'll join us. He said uh, a lot of the conversation was just uh, two guys talking. I, I don't think it, it was not formal. It was not an interview. Uh, I was on the official schedule. So this isn't the whole thing wasn't off the record. People know that I was there and, and you know, people saw me walking around the complex and various reporters and such. Um, But we just uh, we talked about a whole lot of things. I talked about New York, uh, our families. Uh, Some stuff was off the record, the on the record stuff. Well, first off, I I walked in. You know, it's interesting because I I've been in the Oval Office a few times and I've been in uh, that office in different capacities. I went there for the first time when I was about 27 uh, with the CIA briefing team or as as the as the CIA briefing team, really. And uh, I went in there and had a conversation with then President George W. Bush. I actually told Trump about that, not the specifics of the conversation, but some funny anecdotes uh, from from the first time I went in. And also my my sense of uh, Dick Cheney, whom I found uh, shockingly polite and and friendly because my only impression of him had been what we all would hear. And I knew that the media was a caricature of him, of course, but that he was like Darth Vader and terrifying. He was actually a, was a very, uh, very affable fellow when he wants to be. But I, I told him about that. But the first thing that he said when I walked into the Oval this time, so I, I've been in the Oval Office now to run CIA briefings. I've been in the Oval Office uh, to interview the president. You may recall I did that with The Hill about 18 months ago. And this time around, I was just in to have a conversation with the president. So I didn't record it. It wasn't a, a formal interview. And it was some of this was really on a, on a personal level. And then some of it was more uh, general. And he just wanted my sense of a whole a whole range of issues. So we'll cover that again when he calls into the interview. Uh, you'll you'll hear a lot of 
the topics at least that we that we discussed and and uh, but I wanted to give him also some confidential advice or my sense of things that are not for not necessarily for publication or just just for for the president to hear from me but it was it was very nice that he was uh, attentive enough to what we're doing here that this was his ask I did not request this I did not uh, th- this just came up and the president had his staff reach out to me and so we went I went down and, and we spent some time together he didn't realize that I was uh, the I was a quite the New Yorker that I am, which I thought was interesting. He assumed that given my CIA background, I must be from where a lot of the folks listening to the show are from more of the of the heartland or something along those lines. But the first thing he said when I walked in was probably my my favorite thing, uh, which is that I walked in and the first words the leader of the free world says are this guy's got the best hair on TV. So that was nice. You know, I'll, I'll take it uh, from a guy who, st- you know, Donald's got a great head of hair. You know, hair game respects hair game. He's got a great head of hair. And, and then I, I took a, a photo with him. And as we're as we're taking the photo, uh, he, I said, you know, my uh, my girlfriend actually just cut my hair this morning. And he looked at it and he said, did a good job. So. Pretty impressive. Uh, pretty impressive, I've got to say. And we had we had a great conversation. And as I said, some was off the record, some was personal. But a couple of topics that I can tell you we touched on. Um, one is, you know, th- this president is very much, uh, very much engaged and understands that the economic devastation that's happening because of the extended lockdown. Just he, I'll tell you this: the president told me we're never going to do this again. We're never going to do this again. Because I said, sir, I asked him, I said, sir, promise me that you're not going to you're not going to push for a second lockdown like this. If we have another another wave in the wintertime, he said, nope, we're going to deal with the problem. We're going to use our best resources. We're going to put out the uh, the fires as they come up. But this will not happen again. And now we still have to get out of it and getting out of it isn't just getting states to allow for the reopen. It's getting things up and running again. It's restoring the loss of economic activity, of of wealth, of all the, the accrued assets that people have in their small businesses and in their in their savings accounts and, uh, and and getting people jobs back. So they have paychecks week to week. And all of that is, is going to be a, a major effort. Um, but I, I got to tell you, it was and it was fun, too, for me yesterday, yesterday, because a lot of my friends and peers now work in that White House complex. So I, I bumped into I bumped into my old colleague and friend from CNN, Kelly McEnany, White House press secretary. I saw Hope Hicks, who's always uh, very cordial to me. Um, I saw uh, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of folks that I know from the comm shop that a communication shop that you know, some of you may have heard of. But probably uh, most of them are a little more under the radar. So it was really uh, the it was it was just a, it was a really good day. And it was a strange thing to travel down to Washington, D.C., though. On, I took the train down, and uh, I think there were five people. I mean, I counted five. There might have been ten, but I mean, I counted five people on a train from New York to D.C. Uh, remember, this is a train that, in normal times, I've taken so much that, I, and I have all these stories of. I've, I'm telling you, I have made it to that Amtrak train, and and a dead sprint, covered in sweat, you know, running with like two bags over my head as fast as I can. And leaping onto that platform, 
I've cut it as close as 30 seconds, 20 seconds before the doors closed and that thing pulled away. I have never missed an Amtrak train, knock on wood, which is given how many times I've taken that thing. Uh, I, I must have been on that train over over 100 times. Um, so it was very strange yesterday being on it. It was empty. I mean, it was, I had an entire car to myself, completely empty train. So I went down, and D.C. is even more locked down than New York City is, which was a surprise to me given how, much, how New York has so many more cases. But this is also reflective of the mentality, you know, the, the bureaucrats and Democrats and people on the left and the media. Uh, they, they have frightened uh, areas of the country that if you're, if you're overwhelmingly a blue part of the United States, you're going with the maximum restrictions on this because politically and culturally, you have adopted the well, the maximalist lockdown position, I suppose. I got to D.C. and I know the area that I was in very well. I mean, the area in and around the, the White House. I got there and I it took me about 20 minutes just to find a place where I could get a cup of coffee because everything was shut down. You know, here in New York, there's a lot that's shut down, but there's a there's a lot that's not. There's, you know, stores that are doing uh, you know, gro- not just grocery stores, but restaurants that are doing takeout or in some reduced fashion. D.C. was a ghost town, just nothing happening there. And it's, you know, it's nice outside. It's warm. It, it felt like uh, it, it felt like some apocalyptic movie being there. I mean, here you are in the nation's capital. There's just nothing happening. No one's doing anything. And there's far lesser population density. So even on the streets, you just didn't really I just didn't really see anyone walking around. So I went into the White House. I had to take a coronavirus test. Negative. Yes. Uh, so I took a coronavirus test yesterday. No, no COVID-19 at this point. And I got the chance to speak to uh, the president for 40 minutes. And uh, I'm just going to tell you this. We we see eye to eye on a lot of things. And I talked to the, I talked to him before, but in a much more formal setting. And he asked for my my thoughts on a whole range of things all across reform in the intelligence community, uh, what's going on with the judiciary and judges and we we just we spent a good long chat, just the two of us, no one else in the room. So it was uh, it was a good day for Team Buck, and uh, I, I'm glad that we had the I'm glad that we had the chance to go down there. And um, as I said, the lockdown, the president said, is not going to happen again. And the president of the United States shook, you know, oh, I'm sorry, did not shake my hand. <laughs> we did not touch hands. To be very clear, there's no touching of hands. Uh, the president of the United States looked me in the eye and said. We uh, we will not do a second lockdown for the second wave that that is likely to come in the winter, although not not entirely certain that that will happen. The other thing that he told me that I want to tell you all, and, and this I think we'll, we'll get into more detail. I want to hold back some of this. I got to keep you guys on the edge and make sure you keep keep listening on the radio stations, our wonderful affiliates all across the country and make sure that you also are downloading the podcast and you, know, you got to pay attention to the Freedom Hut. But. We're going to talk more about what's coming with the deep state because the the preview he gave me is the stuff that's that stuff that's go, still going to come out is going to blow your mind. It's even worse. It's even more egregious the misconduct than what you've already seen. It's going to blow your mind. This this was from the president himself. There's more stuff coming. So clearly he's been briefed on things that are going to be made public about the Russia Gate uh, targeting of Flynn and and everything around it. So get ready for that. And like I said, the president should be joining us here on the show in the next few the, the next few weeks. I, I don't want to put 
too short of a time frame on it because the man's very, very busy. Uh, so that's why I wasn't here yesterday. I, I don't like taking days off from this show, especially in this lockdown situation. Uh, this show is my purpose and it is also, in many ways, my sanity and getting to talk to all of you every day. I know uh, the godfather, Michael Pelka, did a great job sitting in for me. Um, but I and I'm sorry I didn't tell you all I was out. I, I didn't want anyone to worry that I was sick or anything. But as I said, when the leader of the free world says, I want to have a chat, please come down to my office. When the president calls, you answer. So I did. And it was a, a very worthwhile conversation. And maybe in time, there'll be other parts of it that I can get into with you. We'll see. But for now, let's dive into the news. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, when I'm away from my uh, beloved Freedom Hub, when I'm away from all of you, Team Buck, all of you listening all across America, uh, I, I told you that I, I, miss, I miss the chance to speak to you every day. But especially when there's something that, when there's a story that I go, oh man, I, I want to jump into this one. Or there's something that happens in the news that I, I really look forward to, to just talking to you about it and, and getting into it. And that's how I feel about Florida's victory lap. It's really Governor Ron DeSantis's victory lap uh, because we, we need to start looking back at what was said and, and start creating some accountability for the commentary that was out there on these lockdowns and for the things that people were saying. We, we need to actually look at what's happened and talk about who's been wrong, who's been right, and what the reality is of all of this stuff. And Florida has, with a, an elder, uh, elderly population far larger than New York, uh, New York State or New York City's, uh, managed to have a very low death rate even among that elderly community, and Florida was the punching bag for weeks over how, oh, the beaches are open. Spring break is happening. DeSantis has blood on his hands. You had all this stuff that was being said. The media was always it became this this joke unto itself. Oh, Florida spring breakers think COVID is no big deal. They're all so stupid. Look how dumb Florida is. The state of Florida should have locked down sooner. No, it turns out Florida handled this very well. New York handled it terribly. Governor Cuomo should probably resign in disgrace, but that's not going to happen. Do you see any media pressure on this? Do you see any honesty in how they assess what happened there in Florida versus what happened where I am in New York City, New York State? Not at all. Not at all. The, the lockdowners have a political message and they're going to stick with it no matter what. But the good news is that we also have Governor DeSantis, who is able to speak quite forcefully and eloquently, uh, speak on his own behalf. Here is what Governor DeSantis had to say about what's really happened here with Florida. Producer Mark, play that clip. Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical 
partisan narrative trying to be spun. And part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how Florida was going to be just like New York. Wait two weeks, Florida's going to be next. Just like Italy, wait two weeks. Well, hell, we're eight weeks away from that, and it hasn't happened. Not only do we have a lower death rate, well, we have way lower deaths generally, we have a lower death rate than the Acela Corridor, D.C., everyone up there. We have a lower death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we've succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative, it challenges their assumption, so they gotta try to find a boogeyman. Maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the Department of Health. If you believe that, um, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. He's absolutely right. Everything he said there is true. It was a great rant. I mean, you could tell that he'd been waiting to say it for a while. You could tell this had been building. He, he had been marinating in this righteous indignation for quite some time. To be a, a national punching bag in complete defiance of the facts, which are that uh, the, the facts show us Florida has done remarkably well. Florida has been incredibly um, uh, efficient and prescient in how it dealt with this crisis. And a lot of other states, I mean, particularly New York, Governor Cuomo has been lionized by the press. This guy was sending COVID-positive seniors into nursing homes like a total moron, and a lot of people died in nursing homes. Florida has many more nursing homes, much higher per capita elderly population than New York does, and a fraction of New York's deaths, a fraction Oh, but they weren't closing soon enough, we were told. Oh, they're not listening to the guidance. No, it's because it's a Republican governor in a state that's trending red. It's a purple state, but it trends red. And they didn't want to move from the narrative. In the early days, as I said, oh, all the rural areas were going to suffer horribly because they're Trump supporters and they're so dumb. No, it's the blue areas, actually. It's the cities. It's places like where I am. We got crushed. Those of you that live out in red parts of the country where you actually have fresh air to breathe and room to move around and, you know, aren't five feet from your neighbors all the time. You did fine. The national press, though, was sneering at you, sneering at you. Oh, you're probably one of those non-science Trump voters, you know, have fun in your in your pickup truck when you get covid. No, actually, the people that live in rural parts of America did just fine. It's the cities that have been hit so badly and cities run by Democrats. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we don't learn from the states that have defied the so-called consensus in the lockdowns. We don't we don't learn from those areas of the country that people were criticizing, you know, in the in the lockdowner consensus, just just absolutely trying to annihilate them in the public's uh, public opinion. And we just keep on going forward with the stupid metrics they have in place. I saw today the Associated Press has an article, 300,000 contact tracers. That's what they want now, nationwide. We're going to create an... I mean, the TSA is what, 80,000 people? We're going to create a 300,000 person contract, uh, contact tracer army 
so I guess on a contract so that they can sit down and ask you everyone you've met with and then go bother those people and then tell those people they have to all quarantine for 14 days too, irrespective of whatever the test may show uh, the actual COVID test. This is this is completely insane. This is what the people in charge are telling you we have to do. You have 300,000 people going around coming into your home Sitting down with you, I'm an official, you know, government, blah, blah, blah. Who have you been around? Where have you been? What have you been doing? And then at the end of it, they can say, well, you have to stay home now in quarantine for 14 days, as does your whole family. Oh, you have a, a husband or a wife who needs to go to their job to make sure you put food on the table? Not for two weeks, you don't. How often is this going to happen to you, too? You're going to have to quarantine how many times? You think it's that hard to come into contact with some, I mean, casual contact to someone that has COVID-19? How many two-week quarantines can you go through before you're not going to be able to hold any job of any kind? Oh, oh, I know what the answer is. When I push this in front of the libs, I'll say, well, we'll just, just have the federal government write another check. Government will just keep writing checks. It's a horrible, this is a horrible idea. Um, I'm, I'm pleased to see David Marcus of The Federalist, who I've had on uh, my WR show, haven't had him on here uh, but but David Marcus, um, he he wrote an editorial in the New York Post and the lockdown now open up New York, open all of it. I mean, this is what I've been saying on radio for a while, but I was I was appreciative. It's the front page of the New York Post and the lockdown. End it now. Absolutely. New York should be open for business. People should be able to go about their lives the way that they want to. You want to be extra cautious, be extra cautious. You want to go out and go to a store of any kind to purchase goods and services, you should be allowed to. You want to go work out in the gym, go work on the gym. This cannot continue. And that's why I'm particularly frustrated that this gym in New Jersey that had said that they were going to open. By the way, Producer Mark, do you know how far is this gym from you? Uh, you what, know? what town is it in? Uh, I forget. I don't, I don't know that. I think it's, I, I want, uh, I'm not sure which one, but it's, uh, it, there's a gym that has opened up. Here we we got we got to find out now 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 we can't we can't keep our audience. I'm, I'm seeing it's South Jersey, so it's actually fairly far. Jersey's a long. Okay, state. yeah, it's South Jersey. There we go. It's uh, South Jersey gym that defied the shutdown order. Yeah, South Jersey is like a is is uh, quite a quite a hike from uh, Belmar. I don't yeah, even remember. That's heard practically of Philadelphia. That's on the Jersey Shore. Ah. So New Jersey health officials have closed a Camden County gym that defied the statewide shutdown order, according to ABC News' affiliate here. Uh, Atlas Gym in Belmar gained national attention when it allowed members to go inside and work out on Monday, despite Governor Phil Murphy's order. The New Jersey Department of Health issued an emergency closure order for the gym. So, uh, yeah, they, they've shut this thing down. Um, and look, I, I think it's, Here's here's the problem, my friends. This is uh, this is unconstitutional and, and endless. This is kind of like declaring martial law and then just keep extending it, you know, which some countries do. This is what, you know, banana republics. This is what uh, third world tin pot dictatorships this is what they. Oh, yeah, we're just going to declare a state of emergency and you're going to live in that state of emergency for the next 50 years. Get used to it. I'm sorry. This is not a storm. This is not something that falls within the government's defined authority. It just doesn't. They can't keep doing this. Uh, you know, health officials said gyms require the communal use of equipment such as barbells and treadmills that may harbor the virus. Oh, no, the virus. If you're going to a gym to work out, 
chances are you're not in the high uh, high risk age group. I'm not saying it's a zero chance, but overwhelmingly, you're not seeing a lot of people that are hit the dumbbell super hard over their 70. And I know someone in this audience who's 75 who could kick my butt is going to send in photos of their six pack. OK, I'm saying in general. But to the point about people making their own. There's a lot of seven year olds I could kick my butt in this audience, I'm sure. And there's a, a bunch of guys in here who are doing stuff, doing stuff in uh, in Nam that I would never even imagine being able to pull off. Anyway, uh, the the truth here is that the government is overreaching. This is unconstitutional and yeah, unconstitutional can't be allowed to continue. But what, how do we get it to stop? How do we get it to stop? Uh, they just can arbitrarily arbitrarily say your business is still shut down. I mean, one thing, look, I put on about 10 pounds during this lockdown. I'm not proud of it, but I don't know what else to say because I'm somebody who likes to eat, but I also like to work out. I can't work out. This is bad for, uh, you know, on a, on a collective level, right? If you look at the group, all people that work out, think of the damage being done to health over a few months here from people putting on weight, all the stress, all the anxiety, all the, and then you add in all the more serious stuff too, the overdoses and the alcoholism and the child abuse, all those terrible things. This is, this is too much. I don't know how to effectively make a stand against this in any one place yet. I'm still trying to think this one through um, because, you know, the de Blasio, and I'm sure it's true of Governor Murphy in New Jersey as well, they'll, they'll send the police after you and they will lock you up. They say here the notice of embargo from Camden County Division of Environmental Health. They're saying that criminal sanctions and or civil civil penalties uh, can follow from this. So this is um, this is just wrong. This is wrong what they're doing. Uh, the gym should be open. I mean, I I'm have a gym, I have a gym in my building here in New York. Why can't I go use that gym? I just got a COVID test yesterday. I don't have COVID. And I'm not worried about getting COVID from somebody else. Well, why can't I get it? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to like lick, lick my fingers after I touch the barbell every two seconds. But other than that, you know, we, we do not live. I mean, if I end up coming in here, I want to be very clear about this. If I come in here and tell you one day doing this show, hey, guys, turns out I'm actually feeling pretty crappy because I've got COVID-19. I, I've made a choice to live my life. That doesn't refute anything that I've said. And hopefully if I get COVID-19, my immune system will handle it reasonably well, but you never know. But I'm living my life with that. I understand that reality. I'm willing to take that risk. Just as I've taken other risks in life, you know, just as, you know, I remember finding myself flying around in a Blackhawk with an M4 strapped to my chest being like, how that, you know, over a part of a country that was overrun with Al Qaeda, thinking to myself, how did I end up in this place? You know, well, so we take risks. We take risks. That's the reality of being a functioning adult with a life worth leading, you take intelligent risk. And that brings me to school. Speaking of the other side of the spectrum, we're talking about adults. What about the kids? Because we're making decisions for kids. And right now, I wish I could say that this was going to bring about a, a homeschooling revolution. But for a lot of people, this isn't really homeschooling. That's what I've been finding out. Uh, they didn't have time. Parents didn't have time to prepare for this. Uh, they didn't set this up in advance. Uh, this is just a, tr a sort of an educational triage situation. And that means that everyone's just doing what they can with the kids at home. And now we're being told that maybe they're not even going to open up even further into the year. They might not be open up in the fall. They might try some distance learning or some nonsense. 
children are at almost zero risk from this. You as an adult right now listening to this, you are at, by the numbers, and we have real numbers now, we have real data. Forget what you were being told two months ago. Now we got real data. You are at a less than 1% chance of dying from COVID-19 if you contract COVID-19. And a decent percentage of people listening to this right now, I don't know what it is, but let's say it's anywhere from 5 to 15% already have had it and have antibodies and have no threat whatsoever against your health, at least for the foreseeable future. So that those are the real numbers. But for children, the chance of getting this and dying isn't less than one percent. It's really more like less than point zero 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 one percent. It is infinitesimal. But we can't open schools. We can't find a way. You know, why don't we have some serology tests to at least get teachers who can have kids? You know, maybe we have to expand class size a little bit. But, you know, teachers who are at low risk or have already had antibodies to the disease. Yeah, I know this is not going to be that easy, but let's let's get a little creative with this, folks. Right. I mean, let's actually allow for solutions instead of just stay at home. Stay at home is not a solution. It wasn't a solution when they said it the first time, and it gets more obvious every passing day of the massive constant, massive negative consequences of doing this. Here is, we we're just talking about New Jersey a second ago. Producer Mark is, I suppose, also our special Jersey correspondent because he lives in Jersey, so he knows Jersey well. Uh, we had Governor Phil Murphy. By the way, is, is Mur- what, what do people think of Murphy in Jersey? You realize I moved here two months ago and I haven't been yeah, outside since. Yeah, I know, but since, come on. Right? You're like, you're home all day reading about, you know, Jersey. I think it's split because Jersey's a fairly red state, but he is obviously a Democratic governor. Yeah, there's red parts of Jersey. Yes. I mean, it always votes Democrat because of the, uh, the part of it that's close. He's to also Jersey. fairly new, I believe. Well, here's what he says about going back to school in a responsible way. Here's what the governor of New Jersey, which has been hit. Remember, New York is number one. I think New Jersey, maybe Michigan, but I think New Jersey is number two for overall hotspot from COVID-19. Play five. We've got a a small, if not a large army looking at this right now. We're planning uh, on on going back. That's going to be our base case, but we've got to do it in a responsible way. We've got to do it, you know, the basic social distancing realities, face coverings, uh, but we've also got to do it with respect to teachers and administrators uh, in, in this whole notion of cross-generational spread of the virus. Uh, I said yesterday that we're going to give guidance to parents and kids and, and educators and staff, I hope by early to mid-June. Uh, and there's a lot of uneasiness around this, understandably, right now. We want to make sure we get this right. And as we've said all along, indoor stuff is a lot harder than outdoors. So, you know, you'll see outdoor dining, for instance, in New Jersey before you'll see it inside. Uh, and, and schools obviously have a big element of their reality. Physical presence is inside. But we want to get it right. And we're preparing on the path that that's what we will do. OK, that's a lot of just we're going to like do a lot of things and we're going to keep everyone safe and we got to think about it and look at, the, you know, Oh, no one's willing to make any tough decisions on this. Telling everyone to stay home is not a tough decision because you feel like you're protected because you're just trying to save everybody, even though it's destroying a lot. The cost of staying home is is very high as well. Uh, The new CDC guidelines for reopening schools, for those of you listening who have kids, they've got to be kidding with this, but they're not. 
Let me let me read you. This is the new CDC guidelines for reopening schools. And it just goes through this point by point. Wear masks over the age of two. Really? Children are not only at very low risk from this disease, if they get it, they're considered to be very unlikely vectors of the spread of the disease to adults. So now you're going to have you're going to have three year olds and four year olds going on wearing masks. I mean, aren't you just trying to make sure that, you know, everybody like knows how to go potty and everything when you're like three years old? I'm not good with kids, but isn't that, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to convince them to keep these masks on their faces. Three year olds, four year olds, they're going to be running with little masks on. We're going to we're going to do this to kids now. I think it's going to traumatize them, too. This is bizarre. They're not going to understand what's going on. I got to wear a mask now everywhere. No sharing of any items or supplies, all belongings in individual cubbies or labeled containers. No sharing electronic devices, toys, learning aids. Well, that's going to cut down a lot on how much access to different learning aids and tools kids have. Right. No more playing with blocks during, uh, you know, we we used to have uh, at my school when I was a little kid, we had juice and cookies time. Oh, man, I used to love those that juice and cookies, a little bit of O.J., a little bit of, uh, we, we used to have a lot of the, what are the, what's that brand that does, who does Mint Milano's? Do you remember the, do you know those cookies? Yeah, Milano. No, it's not, the company's not called, is it called Milano? I think so. Or maybe it's Pepperidge Farm Milano's? Pepperidge yeah. Farm, it's not called Milano. Producer Mark, get on your game also, today. what kind of school did you go to that they were giving you Milano's as a snack? Uh, it was a nice school. Yeah, obviously. So uh, desks six, this is more of the CDC guidance, desks six feet apart, all facing the same way. I mean, they're going to be able to fit very few kids in these classrooms now. Distance on school buses, one child per seat, skip rows. How how are you going to think of the strain this is going to put on this? They don't have the resources to do any of this. Install sneeze guards and partitions. Anywhere you cannot space six feet apart. So kids are going to be in like plexiglass prisons now in the classroom, too. That's great. One way routes in hallways, tape on sidewalks and walls to assure kids stay six feet apart. I mean, they really this is like we're setting this up so that kids are going to be living in a they're going to be going to school in a penal colony. They're going to have to be regimented with where they can where they can walk in the lines uh, that are written on the ground and plexiglass guards around them. Why don't we just put all the little four-year-olds in orange jumpsuits? All because COVID, you know? Got to make sure we see the kids clearly and they know that the state is watching them. No communal shared spaces. No cafeterias or playgrounds. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be great. No playground now. Your kid's going to go to school. They're going to put your kid in a plexiglass box with a mask on his face, with nobody near him within six feet of him, also in plexiglass boxes, with a teacher in a hazmat suit at the, to- at the in the front of the classroom. I mean, why even bother? Why even bother? And remember, kids are at almost zero risk. This is the CDC. CDC's got a bunch of idiots making decisions like this. I'm just going to say it. They don't understand how the world works. They may understand, oh, this virus is this virus, and the, oh, and the, vat- the virus has, you know... A covering of fat that is whatever. Who cares? Because this is policy. This isn't about virus research. This is about our lives. They have no better understanding of this than you do, my friend. They're just making this up as they go along. Only prepackages, boxes of bags or food. No cafeteria food. 
no field trips, no assemblies, no external organizations allowed in the schools, limited visitors. So no, no one can come in. Like they're turning the schools into prisons. That's what they're doing. Uh, same children stay with same staff all day. No switching groups or teachers. I guess the teacher's going to be in a hazmat suit. Do you children comply? Do you comply? Let's just set up a little robot. Let's set up a robot that has like a little taser gun in case little five-year-old Jimmy or little six-year-old Sally takes the mask off their face. You know, do not take the mask off your face. I mean, how far away is that from reality? Look at the stupidity of this. This is what they think reopening schools is? Stagger arrival and departure times for kids to limit exposure to crowds? This is nuts. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mr. President, why haven't you announced a plan to get 36 million unemployed Americans back to work? You're overseeing historic economic despair. What's the delay? Where's the plan? I think we've announced a plan. We're opening up our country. Just a rude person you are. We're opening up our country. Uh, We're opening it up very fast. Uh, The plan is that each state is opening, and it's opening up uh, very effectively. And uh, when you see the numbers, I think... uh, even you will be impressed, which is pretty hard to impress you. Yeah, go ahead, please. A lot of these jobs ahead, are not coming back. Remember, this is the, the, revolutionary, uh, the revolutionary act of Trumpism, is that when you are verbally assaulted by the media, by partisans in the media who are trying to undermine you because they're activists, because they're frauds, they're fakes, you don't just take it. You don't say, oh, thanks, can you do that again? Can you can you malign me again based on a false premise? Oh, that was great. No, that's the that's the Romney model. That's that's the old Republican model. Uh uh-uh. No, Trump is like, you know what? That's just gross. We all know why the economy's in such bad shape. It was fantastic before this outside entity. I mean, this would be almost like an alien invasion from space. OK, things happen. You know, yeah, you could say we could see this coming. I know an alien invasion from space is an unlikely thing, but, you know, who knows? But the point is, this was an external factor that was not just the United States involved. There was nothing that could be done to stop. No country has stopped this entirely, not even close. Every country has been dramatically affected by this, at least their economy has in some way. And we're still seeing this play out across the globe. So as we look at this, to have reporters who are who are deciding that this is an opportunity to say, where's your where's your plan for the job? The plan is to let people go back to work and the idiot libs are fighting against it at every step. The plan is to let us actually do our jobs again. That's the jobs plan. Stop telling us we can't work. Stop telling us we can't do anything. Government. And then they turn around. So so you see, this is the way they do it. The libs create the fire and then they turn around and say, where's the fire department? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they here fast enough? Trump has been trying to get the country reopened. He's been trying to push for this for weeks. It's the left that keeps saying, oh, no, you're going to you're going to kill all the old people. Why are you so terrible? And all this other stuff. So they so they demand continued lockdown. They demand the shutdown of economic activity. And then they turn around and say, well, hold on a second. Uh, Why aren't you bringing all kinds of new plans forward to, to create jobs. You know, the, you know what the best way is to create jobs right now? 
remove all these dumbass regulations from people like Cuomo and Murphy and Newsom and these other governors who are just just constricting, constricting the American economy and crushing the hopes and dreams of tens of millions of people. Because this is what their ideology has. This is what their ideology really decides for them. The left sees this as an opportunity to destroy Trump, to prevent him from getting a second term, to create a massive and overwhelming government intrusion into our lives that is continuous, that will not stop, to reorder the American economy, to reorder the relationship between citizen and state. All of this, all of this. Oh, and I just saw, speaking of citizens, I just saw that Seattle has voted 9 nothing. Seattle City Council wants to create a $100 million fund for illegal aliens. So you have over 30 million Americans uh, who have lost jobs. You've got trillions and trillions of dollars of debt piling up. And you have uh, sanctuary cities like Seattle that want to make sure that your tax dollars. Remember, they're, they're taking money from you, from your business, saying you can't stay in your home unless you pay us the following. And they're taking some of that money now, at least in Washington State and in Seattle, and they're, they're making sure that it goes to illegals. They're already doing this in California, too. Gavin Newsom's already made sure of that. Why is that okay? How, how does anyone find that to be acceptable? And then they lecture us all on the rule of law. Do what I say because it's the law now. First of all, a lot of these orders aren't the law. They're just deciding under under really a, a, essentially what you would consider if it was the president who was doing it an executive order but these governors are just giving these giving orders and you're saying well hold on a second it's never been expanded in this way for this period of time it's never happened before and they say yeah but this is now the law is what we say it is on this oh, that's actually lawlessness and tyranny and we have slipped into it with not nearly enough pushback, not nearly enough outrage and action. Where is the action? I, you know, I don't have a business that I could go open and get arrested. But if there's a business that I want to use that's opening up somewhere here in New York, I'm going to go and be a patron. And if they find me for going or they find me for being a customer or if they arrest me, so be it. I, I, you know, I, I can't imagine the stress and the strain that people are going through right now in a lot of these states because of, uh, of imbeciles who are making all the decisions for all of us about how we can go about our lives in the midst of this pandemic. You know, I, I had my friend uh, Will Riccardella from the Washington Examiner, great guy. And, you know, he was down in uh, Georgia for the last week. And I've been talking to him and he says, yeah, people, restaurants are open, bars are open, people. Now there's limitations and there's some restrictions still, but you can basically go about much of your day-to-day -day life the way that you used to. Not all of it, but a, a good, good portions of it. How are we ever going to return to normalcy with the people in charge making outlandish, outlandish benchmarks that we're never going to meet and making that a precondition for opening? Oh, and, you know, I, and I, I got so into the CDC school reopening thing that I actually left some of it still on the table. And I had producer Nick, who's one of our, uh, one of our producers, on the video side for Pluto TV's The First, which is also a way you can, remember, you can download the Pluto TV app anytime. You can also go to bucksexton.com where we're putting up amazing stories every day. And as of next week, I will be writing a weekly editorial for bucksexton.com. That is our plan. We will execute on it. And this isn't like Malta. This I can actually do with no problem. Malta, I'm going to have to try to do this weekend. Tell the Snow Princess that I need a few hours of 
of uh, Malta time. But there's more in this uh, CDC guidance. A producer, Nick, told me, he's like, there's no way. You think a three-year-old's going to keep a mask on his face? And what are you going to do? Then guess what you're going to have to do then? When the three-year-old's like, I don't want to have the mask, then you're going to have to have an adult come over, probably with like a face shield and gloves. And, you know, it looks like they're uh, doing a space, a space mission. They have the adult come over and, you know, touch the kid, put the mask on or something. And, you know, now you got human to human contact and it's even worse. And what are we even doing? But there's more. I said I stopped for the CDC guy. This is from the CDC. For those of you saying, listen to the experts, they're, they're going to turn schools into a maximum. It's going to feel like a maximum security uh, prison because of a disease that is as a this is a fact right now. COVID-19 to children is substantially less deadly and risky than seasonal flu in any given year. That's a fact. Do we do we shut down the schools every year for do we have face guards and sneeze guards and all this other stuff for seasonal flu? Now, people, oh, it's worse than the flu. It's worse than the flu for older people, for the rest of the population especially as you get closer and closer to the under 20 crowd, it's a whole lot less dangerous than the flu. And so the schools are being turned into these, you know, maximum security antivirus facilities under CDC guidance. This is completely crazy. And this is the CD. This is the CDC that Trump inherited. These are bureaucrats. They're not accountable. They don't they don't have to deal with public criticism. No one's going to fire them for being morons. They'll probably be able to sue if anyone tries to fire them and get all their back pay and get some, you know, ah. But uh, staggering arrival is where I stopped and departure times for students to limit exposure to crowds of kids. If possible, CDC guidance here for school reopening this fall, daily health and temperature checks. And if they think about it, I mean, how scary this will be for kids. Libs love to terrify children for very low risk, for very low risk things. This is why they like to do these these active shooter drills in schools that will always come up after there's some big moment. The, the, the truth is that kids being shot in schools in the last 10 years is actually per capita less than it was in the 80s and the 90s. But you won't ever you know, oh, they won't ever talk about that. It's whatever the media convinces people of. Oh, it's gotten so much worse. That's not true. Uh, several rules about cleaning and disinfecting throughout the day, the day and hand uh, uh, hand washing frequently. I mean, OK, hand washing. Fine. But they're going to reopen schools and no one's going to want to go to school. They're going to reopen restaurants and no one's going to want to go to restaurants. They're going to allow businesses to open up and they can't make a profit. This is their version of intelligent reopen. They should call it idiotic reopen because that's what it is but this is what we're, we're up against now it's not just getting to that phase it's what are we doing in that phase open the country now all of it stop the government regulations let the people handle this protect the vulnerable and let other people make their own decisions about their lives this is what the data actually suggests now this is what this is if you look at what's happened the conclusion that honest people should be coming to. But, oh, no, we're all so scared. Just let just let Cuomo and Newsom make all your decisions for you. See how that see how that works out for people. They're they're ruining their the, the economies in these states. And they're just going to assume that this turns into a massive, a massive opportunity for the expansion of what will be socialism. 
uh, of, of a true socialism of government control of industry, government control of the means of production. I mean, this is this is coming your way if they're able to keep doing this stuff and redistribution of wealth. It's already been happening, uh, but redistribution of wealth on a scale that is uh, is mind blowing. That's where we are right. That's where we are right now. They see it. They see this opportunity. So remember the politics of this as they pretend that it's all about the science, not about the science. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, Team Buck, for your listening and viewing enjoyment, if you're on Pluto TV right now watching us, we have the man himself, former senior advisor to Vice President, I mean, sorry, to President Donald Trump. Uh, we have with us now, I know, oh my gosh, don't tell him I said that, Dr. G. Uh, we got Dr. Sebastian Gorka with us now. He's the host of his own show. Uh, you can listen to him on podcast. Dr. Gorka, great to have you, man. Were you just about to say former senior advisor to Joe Biden? No, 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 no. I was going to say Pence for some reason. I don't know why, but see, of course, senior advisor to the man himself. I would, I would have been on it to Donald. work for Mike Pence. Yeah, he'd be but, great, but of I, course. For the big man, DJT, no, come on, the boss. But you can't, you can't call the big man the vice because he's, uh, he's the one, he's the one and only. He ain't vice. He, we got, he's we got no deputy. Amer- sure. America first with Sebastian Gorka. If you haven't checked out the show, you you should. All right, Doctor Gorka, I actually ha- I haven't had a chance to talk to you yet. You know, some folks I'm I'm chatting with a bit offline in, in our line of work about how insane the lockdowns are. Because one, I want to know what it's like in different states. You're in Virginia. I'm here in New York. Uh, but also, I want to sort of keep in with what people are seeing and the, the, the latest on the data that they're crunching. What are you thinking about these lockdowns? I mean, in New York, I'm calling for it to end now or, or yesterday, if possible. But now I'll take. Well, look, uh, I've already done three hours of radio today. I uh, co-hosted. Uh, there's a fabulous, fabulous show out of uh, L.A. with uh, Jennifer Horn on KRLA. And um, I just I just read the front cover of the, the New York Post today. This incredible letter, it's, you know, the New York Post often have super funny uh, front pages. Not today. It's just, it's called One Man's Plea. It's from an opinion piece columnist, David Marcus. And it just says, it needs to end now. We have got upwards of 40 million people that have been made unemployed. We've got states of the union, like South Dakota, where 12 12 people have died from the coronavirus. We know, we know that at least 50% of the deaths occur in nursing homes. Let's protect those populations. And for God's sake, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I said that, Buck. We need to get our country back to work. We absolutely do. It's a long past time for that. And, you know, uh, Dr. G, I actually was uh, with your former boss yesterday in the Oval talking about a whole range of things. And I'm glad to see that he he understands what's going on right now at, at the political level, but also at the economic level, the, the devastation that's out there and what people are facing. And, and he wants us to get back in the game as soon as possible. Just uh, what what is this? What is the state of play right now in Virginia? I mean, you have unfortunately Democrats pretty much uh, running the whole shop at the state level, don't you? We lost the Commonwealth last year. It's 
it's devastating. It's uh, the Senate House. It's the reps. It's the governor. You know, I call him the, the butcher of Richmond governor, Ralph Northam. He wants to extend the lockdown. Some, some small concessions here and there when it comes to use of parks. But this is just another power grab like Cuomo, like Newsom. They think they can extort money from federal government, from the U.S. taxpayer. It's, it's, it's the little test. You know, they get, a, they get a little taste of power and they want more. And we have to stop it now. Look, we have this false dichotomy from Governor Cuomo. Remember, he was lecturing us for weeks. It's what's more important, the health people dying from COVID or the economy? Well, guess what, you moron? The economy is made up of human beings. We are seeing spikes in suicide rates in Australia that had an early total lockdown. More people have killed themselves in Australia since the lockdown than have died from the coronavirus. We cannot let that happen here in America, Buck. We're speaking to Dr. Sebastian Gorka of America First with Sebastian Gorka. I like to call him Dr. G, but uh, you should check out his show for sure. <laughs> and also, also SebGorka.com, read his latest analysis. Uh, so, so, Dr. G, I got to ask you this, too. Um, what is it going to take, you think, for mass noncompliance if we don't open up soon? And what are your thoughts on we, we know it's there, the looming second wave, you know, that there's going to be a whole, we're going to have this whole debate. Assuming what we yeah, know about epidemiology yeah. and, and respiratory viruses, we're going to have this debate again in September, October, right before the election. And we know the lockdowners are going to say, let's lock down once again. So uh, we're seeing it in California. We're, we're seeing people resist. We're seeing people go out to the beaches, to the parks. We're seeing sheriffs, sheriffs in California saying, I'm not going to enforce this. It's unconstitutional. Stopping people from making a living so they can feed their children, that's un-American. When it comes to the second wave, let's be clear about what's going on medically in America. I had uh, Dr. Dan Erickson, uh, who had that viral video on YouTube, millions and millions of views before it was deleted, who runs seven clinics in California, who just gave a very clear fact-based analysis of what is going on in America and what lockdowns do. And, and just for a moment, look, I'm a doctor, but it's a PhD. I'm going to channel Dan Erickson, who is is a doctor who studied virology, who runs seven clinics in California. If you're healthy, that means your immune system is daily challenged by things like viruses, by bacteria. That's how it works. It is challenged and your body's immune system builds the antibodies, the resistance to those challenges every single day. When a health, I'm not talking about over 75 with underlying conditions, when a healthy person locks themselves away for weeks or months, guess what happens, Buck? Your immune system isn't challenged on a daily basis doesn't build that resistance that makes it a functioning immune system so what happens healthy people become vulnerable and this is what we have to pre prepare for when we go out there if we maintain this any longer and healthy people then go out there and start catching diseases start getting sick the democrats the left are going to see see 
See, I told you so. It's the coronavirus, but we as a nation will have brought it upon ourselves. Dr. Dr. G, we got to go to a quick pause here. We'll come right back with more because I want to talk to you, Dr. Gorka, about the deep state. We're going to hit that when we come back in a second. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Dr. Sebastian Gorka of America First with Seb Gorka. He is, of course, formerly the senior advisor to President Trump, and uh, he's now talking to us about all the things going on, including with quarantine and the fight against the lockdowns. But I want to transition, uh, Dr. G, to, you know, yesterday I I was talking to the, the president a little bit. And uh, you saw my old boss. How, how was he? What shape was uh, the president in? Uh, you know, he he is ready. He is ready for the fight ahead. He knows it's coming. He understands the opponents. He understands his ideological enemies very, very well. The guy's got amazing energy. And as you know, is, is really both an incredible storyteller and incredible entertainer in every, you know, whether it's 20,000 yes. people screaming in a, in a amphitheater somewhere or, or one person sitting in a room quietly with them. He's just a, an, an enthralling storyteller. So we, we were just chatting. And, you know, some of it was on the record. Some of it was off the record. But one part that I thought was really interesting is, and I wanted you to speak to this, I think he, he feels that re, at a really personal level, he feels the vindication of now we're seeing that the deep state came at him and it was the deep state on Obama administration orders at the very top level with Obama and Biden's yeah. at least tacit consent, at least. So, so this is one of the things that surprised me the most um, when I worked for him. So I, I advised him as a candidate and then I was his deputy for strategy in the White House. And the only time... I ever saw him really angry. It was just the two of us in the Oval Office, and I was in there on completely other different business. I think it was on uh, on the uh, Obama-Iran deal, killing the Iran deal. And for some reason, the topic of Russia came up. I believe it was the day that they forced Jared to make a statement. And the word Russia comes up in the conversation, and he stops. He's seated at the Resolute Desk. I'm standing. He looks at me, and he says, Sebastian, they will never find anything because there is nothing and what shocked me all through my time in the white house is his utter complete hands-off attitude he, he could have you know he could have done like obama he could have done like nixon he could have reached into the apparatus of state he could have played with it he could have jiggled with it because people don't realize it's not the director of the fbi it's not the attorney general it's the president who is the most senior federal law enforcement officer of the land he didn't touch it he kept his hands off it and what happened for three and a half years he was attacked he was called an a puppet of Vladimir Putin. Now, what do we know? The evidence. Mike Flynn innocent. Mike Flynn didn't lie. No predicate for the crime. Two weeks before the inauguration, they want to shut down the case because there's no evidence. Uh, Andy, uh, uh, Peter uh, Stroke reopens the case. They send two agents to the White House against all regulations. Don't Mirandize. Don't warn Mike Flynn. They frame him. They charge him with a crime he didn't commit. And then what do we find? Thanks to God bless Ambassador Rick Nelson, uh, Rick uh, Grinnell, the uh, outgoing acting director of national intelligence. We have the documents. 15 days before the inauguration, Obama's in the White House with Comey, with Clapper, with Rice, with the deputy attorney general. And it is Obama that has to brief 
the deputy attorney general on the surveillance against Mike Flynn. There's the smoking gun. A, a bungled burglary called Watergate became the biggest scandal in American modern political history. It looks like a spat in a playground compared to this. The CIA, the NSA, the FBI had an interagency counterintelligence operation against our campaign and then our White House, and it went right to the top to Obama, Buck. We're speaking to Dr. Sebastian Gorka. His show is America First with Sebastian Gorka on Salem uh, Networks. You can listen to the podcast, also subgorka.com. Uh, all right, Dr. G, I, I want to know where you think this goes next. I mean, you brought up uh, Rick Grinnell, who we both hold in very high esteem. I, I dubbed him recently uh, publicly the Wyatt Earp of the intelligence community, and I think the president enjoys that too. <laughs> you know, he's going in there to clean up the mess, and he's done a fantastic... And all he's doing is transparency, right? I mean, he's a, people want to say that this is so yeah. political. There's nothing, this is through the duly constituted process for declassification. There's obviously a public need to know. They just don't want the public to know. And, and now, uh, you know, we have Susan Rice now saying, and I, I've also pointed out that for Susan Rice to write that letter, you're talking about the meeting and then, you know, the follow-on, yes. the email to herself. Do Dr. G, if somebody was accused of insider trading, and they thought that sending themselves two weeks after the alleged illegal trade, a everything was by the book. I had no inside information that way. You would laugh because of how obviously guilty that would make the person look. Susan, Susan. I, I, have, I had a lawyer on the show yesterday. He's a regular guest, former special assistant to the president. We were colleagues in the White House, Boris, Boris Epstein. And, and he, you know, he has the legal terminology and he brings it. He says that email, that declassified email, and yes, it's about transparency. That goes to, quote unquote, state of mind. When somebody sits down two weeks after an event and then says, oh, by the way, uh, the president said he wants everything done by the book. The only person who does that is a person who's trying to cover up for a corrupt president called Barack Obama, who is doing everything against the book. As the good bard said, as William Shakespeare said many centuries ago, the lady doth protest, protest too, too much. much. They are as guilty as sin. And thanks to Rick Grinnell, we have the evidence. I, I gotta say, it's, it's also like when you have anyone in media who has one of their producers reach out or I'm sure you've had this many times I've had this and and it's you know it, the, when they have to say don't worry this will be a fair interview or if they have to, <laughs> if they have to tell you it's going to be a fair interview newsflash trust me trust me <laughs> yeah right, it's not going to exactly. be a fair it's no, not going to be a fair is, interview this is this this will go down you know in history but I, the big thing is right 165 days to go attorney general Barr John Durham it's time to get those filings to the courts. Do you think, and um, we're speaking to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, his show is America First with, with Seb Gorka. Uh, do you think that if they really, and I got to, you know, I, I come from inside the bureaucracy. You come from, from inside the, the top of the bureaucracy at the White House. Uh, it, I, I have my concerns, Dr. G, that even if, Bar, you know, I think I think Durham will get to the truth. I think that he is going to put the truth out there, come what may. But charging people from the senior ranks of the DOJ or the FBI, I just don't know. I don't know if I don't know if anybody in this administration has the stones. But I hope I'm wrong. What do you think? 
I'll tell you what I've been saying. You know, you, you know it from the inside. You're my favorite former CIA NYPD guy. You can be very cynical, but I know people who've worked for Attorney General Barr when he was last the attorney. I know the track record. John Durham, John Durham's track record is this is a guy who puts feds in prison. Whether it's a Whitey Bulger case or others, he goes after corrupt cops and he nails them. So I don't think there's going to be a smoking gun of, you know, Obama sent an email Right. To Clapper or Brennan saying, I want you to persecute these guys uh, politically using the intelligence community. I, you know, he's dumb, but he's not that dumb. But I really do think, I do think that there are right now grand juries meeting. And I do think that felony charges will be brought against key individuals in the Obama administration. Uh, I, I, you know, this, this has taken far too long. I know they're meticulous. There has to be a reason. And Bill Barr's not doing this to build a reputation. He didn't have to come back into government. He's doing this to clean the Orgian stables that is Obama's former DOJ. So I don't know if it's going to be cabinet members, but some people clearly have committed felonies and i still believe that there will be felony charges brought you still got the presidents here what do you think about rick grinnell for head of the fbi i got all i got all kinds of jobs i want to hand over to rick uh rick i i lobbied on rick's behalf i'll, I'll give you that when i was in the white house very very robustly to make him our ambassador to nato he the president said i need you in berlin he's done an amazing job uh, I'd like to see him back here in the administration. Uh, FBI, maybe. Um, congratulations to Congressman Ratcliffe, who's been confirmed the vote. He got the vote today to take over DNI. Wherever they want to use Rick, he'll be great. What I'd love to see, what I'd love to see, is my former colleague, my former superior, and my friend, Mike Flynn. General Flynn should come back. I don't think he wants to go straight back into government. I don't blame him. But we need to have a presidential interagency commission to get to the bottom of the Chinese virus. And I think there's a former three-star general whose last name is Flynn who should be the presidential appointee to chair that commission. What do you think, Buck? I love that idea. I think that's fantastic. As soon as we have the full and total and complete exoneration yes. that General Flynn so, so righteously deserves. Dr. Gorka, always fun to talk to you, man. Thank you for the great work you're doing. Thanks for joining us here in the Freedom Hut. And you let me know any anytime you want us to join you over to America first, you know, we're good for it. We'll have you back next week on YouTube. Check out our YouTube channel as well, America First. And uh, I'm Sebastian Gorka. God bless all of your listeners. Thank you, Buck. Thanks, Dr. G. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We actually had a very good meeting. The Republican Party, the uh, senators, I think virtually everyone was there. I think you had 53 there. And uh, we had a great meeting. We're looking to do great things for the country. Uh, we're helping people with stimulus. We're getting pe money to people. They need it. And we're going to open up very big. We're going to open up. I, I call it transition to greatness. That's what it is. It's a transition to greatness. And when Larry Cudlow tells you the numbers, those are really uh, surprisingly good numbers this early in. I mean, we're doing very well. I think it's going to be something special. Here you have the president trying to get us in the mindset for the recovery that we so very much need and, and we deserve in this country, that we're going to make this transition. We're going to have a much better you know, end of year, much better final quarter than we've been through uh, up to this point. And he's he's really pushing on this. And, and I think that that's that's good. That's the kind of stuff that you want 
in a leader right now. We, we need some inspiration, too. It can't just be, oh, my gosh, this is so bad, and look at this bad number, and look at that bad number, and, you know, what are we going to do? So that's what you get from, from Trump right now. He's trying to work uh, with the reality that he, well, that we're all in the midst of. And here is, for example, Nancy Pelosi and what she brings to the table. Play clip one. You're asking me about the appropriateness of the actions of this president of the United States. So completely inappropriate in so many ways uh, that it's almost a given. It's like a child who comes in with mud on their pants or something. That's the way it is. They're outside playing. That's what it is. He comes in with doggy do on his shoes. And everybody who works with him has that on their shoes, too, for a very long time to come. So I don't know. I hear doctors talk to me about saying, uh, uh, you know, what's the matter with him? Uh, uh, the things he says are so inappropriate for a president of the United States. The comments he makes about women, comments he makes about women, so inappropriate. So, no, I don't think it's appropriate. But again, there's a market for it, obviously. And that's what he plays to. She's talking, she comes in with dog, doggy do like on his shoes and everybody everybody who works with him has that on their shoes, doggy doggy do. It's, it's like Nancy is is waking up after about six apple teenies in the late afternoon from her nap. You know, that's this is the best the Democrats can offer up as leadership for the country. So you got the president talking about a transition to greatness. And you have Nancy Pelosi. Uh, you, you have you got to wonder when does this when does the oh no, I was going to say when when does the mask fall off or when does the reality become all too apparent so the Democrats can't pretend that somehow the leaders that they put in in positions like like this with Nancy Pelosi are up for the job and and I just would say it's never going to happen. They're never going to change their minds, so all we can do is make fun of Apple Teeny Nancy. President Trump is the doggy do on his shoes. Uh, he really does like. I mean, they, they, you know, the one thing about this is sometimes you can tell politicians are sparring, and even if they say stuff about each other's records, or Trump doesn't like Nancy, and Nancy doesn't like Trump. I mean, the only person that I could think of who Trump clearly dislikes on a personal level more than Nancy is Rosie O'Donnell. He definitely doesn't like Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, but you know, Nancy's still doing the usual, the usual stuff here. Oh, wait, just a quick one. Um, I, I mentioned this at the top of the show. Aunt Becky is going to prison. I'm very upset about this uh, because I grew up watching Full House, and I thought it was a really fun show when I was a kid. And it was just very well done. You know, John Stamos and Dave Coulier. And uh, what's, the, what's the guy's name? Who's the guy who's the man? Bob? Bob Saget. Saget, thank you. Uh, who you wouldn't think of as being cast as like the most sort of cuddly, warm, and fuzzy dad ever, considering if you ever watch his stand-up, you're like, whoa. But uh, Lori Laughlin and Massimo Giannulli have uh, agreed to plead guilty in the admissions scandal and she's going to prison for two months. He's going for five months. Producer Mark, that's pretty harsh, I think. It's a little harsh, but, you know, why get your daughters into school like that? Make them use their own brains. Paid $500,000 to get their two daughters in the University of Southern California as fake crew team recruits. 
What about the real crew team recruits? I got a true. Hey, true. I rode crew in college. I wasn't uh, recruited. Of course you did. Of, of course. Of course. Of course I did. But uh, $500,000, man, uh, to get your kids. In. Look, uh, no, I'm not throwing shade at USC. Maybe a little bit. If you got to pay to get into USC, you, you really like, I mean, pay, you know, as in bribe pay. Uh, you really should have done more homework. I don't know what else to say. You know, you're paying a half a mil to get into USC. You're not paying a half a mil to get into Yale. Like, what is going on here? If you're going to buy your way into a fancy degree, you would think that you'd at least buy your way to a fancier one. But I think the pri- these schools all have price tags. These schools all have, uh, you know, but you have to go through the official process. You do this, you go through the unofficial process, and you end up going to prison. Um, this is a pretty, pretty astonishing. Two years of supervised release. $250,000 fine. He faces Gia Newley, the husband. She faces a separate $150,000 fine. Um, wow. I mean, they're, re- they're giving them, that's real prison time. For something that, I don't know really how much this is like a crime crime. I'm just going to say it. It's definitely a civil issue, but a crime crime? Eh. Maybe I'm just got a maybe I just got a soft spot for Aunt Becky from Full House. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bunch of other important stories across the country. I didn't have a chance to talk to you about yesterday. I wanted to get to now. As you know, well, we already talked about Aunt Becky. She's getting sent away. Were you a Full House watcher, producer Mark? Of course I am. I, I'm a Fuller House watcher as well. Yeah, such a good show. I was I was such a fan. And it makes me so sad. Aunt Becky's going to prison. I thought, I remember when I was a kid, I was like, Aunt Becky's the most beautiful woman in the world. I thought she was amazing when I was like, I don't know, 14 or something watching that. Uh, I was a big Aunt Becky fan. And then during the Seventh Heaven days, I did not like that show particularly. But when I was in high school, uh, the Je- Jessica Beale in Seventh Heaven, I thought was like the perfect you know, the perfect lady my age. Uh, wasn't a lady, it was a young woman, whatever. So uh, those are two shows that I definitely, I definitely had favorites on. I was a big Aunt Becky fan and a big Mary Camden fan. I remember her name. So now we got Aunt Becky going to prison. We're talking about the college admission scandal. Like, I, I think that there's a little bit of political headhunting going on here because it's exactly what producer Mark was saying. Hey, you got to buy yourself in. You got to be a little rich brat. You got to pay the price. Okay, true, true. But maybe the price is a little heavy on this one. You're sending the parents away. I mean, they're paying hundreds. They've been ruined, humiliated. They're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. You know, no, nobody lost a leg here. You know, I, I think it's a little meaning that because of what they did, I think that's a little intense. But oh, we'll see. We'll see what ends up. Uh, I mean, I, I assume that that's the sentence is what that's what's been agreed to. But until a judge. Oh, I had to point this out. The Washington Post ran this story that uh, the Flynn in the Flynn case, they're looking to overturn Flynn's conviction. Flynn has not been convicted. I don't know why legal writers and national security writers don't seem to understand this. A guilty plea is, results in a conviction almost always, but it is not a conviction. You are convicted when the judge passes sentence. That is the conviction. Amazing. This is the headline of the Washington Post. I, I didn't even go to law school and I know this stuff. Producer Mark, pretty impressive. Yes, you're just so great, Buck. Thank you. See, that's what he's here for. Just in case I'm having an off day. I'm like, Mark, tell me how wonderful I am. He's like, eh, 
I'm like, all right, good enough. I'll take it. You didn't want to go outside today, so you didn't want your head to be able to fit through the door. That's important. Yeah. That's important. Um, so we, other, we have another story here from the, uh, the inspector general uh, at the State Department or about the inspector general. And I, I will tell you that, you know, Pompeo, who is, is an impressive guy. You know, I like I like Pompeo. He's done a very good job for the administration. Uh, he's not backing off this IG situation at all. Uh, he's basically saying that, that this guy, Steve Linick, he needed to go a long time ago and the president did the right thing. Here he is playing nine. So there's been lots of discussion about this. I've read a number of reports. Let me let me say three things. First, uh, the president has the uh, unilateral right to choose who he wants to be his inspector general at every agency in the federal government. Uh, they are presidentially confirmed positions, and those persons, just like all of us, serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States. In this case, I recommend it to the president that Steve Linick be terminated. I frankly should have done it some time ago. Not backing down at all. Oh, the media has created a firestorm around this. Oh, they say there's corruption. Attorney, I mean, the uh, secretary of state here is like, meh, I don't think so. We're not we're not going to we're not going to dance to the tune the mainstream media and the libs lay out for us. Not not going to do it. And then when you have some of the, the usual characters out there saying, oh, look at this, the Trump administration. Oh, it's the, the destruction of ethics and the, all this other stuff. Uh, Pompeo's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to take words of advice on this one from, say, Senator Menendez. Play clip 10. Here, here's the last thing to think about as you see these stories that have been leaked to you all, right, to the press. This is all coming through the office of Senator Menendez. I don't get my ethics guidance from a man who was criminally prosecuted. Case number 15-155 in New Jersey Federal District Court. A man for whom his Senate colleagues bipartisan said basically that he was taking bribes. That's, uh, that's not someone who I look to for ethics guidance. And so I'll continue to do the right thing to make sure the State Department is served by every employee, including our attorney, Inspector General. And we'll make sure the State Department continues to deliver on behalf of the American people. The tactics of Trumpism. Pompeo style. They come at him instead of saying, oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. Maybe maybe I shouldn't have fired the inspector general. Maybe maybe you shouldn't have. allowed. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Please don't please don't come after me and, and hurt me. Pompeo's like, yeah, actually, I'm a, we're allowed to do this. I recommended he do it. I stand behind it. It was the right move. And uh, Menendez, Senator Menendez, the guy's a jerk and has no standing whatsoever to complain about anybody else's ethics. This is so important. This is so important because if you play the game the way that they set it up for you, if you if you if you allow them to say, oh, I thought you were ethical. Don't you want to be ethical? Oh, maybe we should allow an ind- maybe we should allow a special counsel. You know, if, if you let them get away with it, they'll just they'll just keep on beating you by changing the rules and making sure that you're never on a never on an even playing field at all, that you can barely get on the playing field. So what is the alternative to that? The alternative is, as we know. To fight back Trump style, and I like that this is the way that Pompeo is approaching the situation um, because it's it's just clearly such a, a, a another frenzy in the media to say that Trump is corrupt and doing something that's terrible and all this other stuff. You know, like, for example, Joe Scarborough. I mean, this really is now 
uh, like a cry for help. This guy's show every morning. It's, it's such a waste of everyone's time. Although I guess if you really believe that Trump is Hitler and destroying the country and everyone's dying because Trump is so awful, uh, which is really a, a me- this is a mental illness to think about, to think things are that way. Uh, then maybe you enjoy watching Scarborough. But but here is this this uh, this overpaid fraud over at MSNBC. I mean, he's overpaid if he makes more than a dollar doing the show because it's worthless. Uh, here's what he says. Play six. And when they hear Donald Trump saying he would do nothing differently, when they hear Donald Trump saying, you look at the number of all those black people have died, all those white people have died, all those Hispanics have died, all those Asian Americans have died, you look at all the Americans who have died. We're going towards 100,000, ranked 131 out of 140 countries, according to Johns Hopkins. And he says it's a badge of honor. Those numbers, as Willie said earlier today, you know, they hear that. And that has an impact on them, and that has an impact on the way they vote. Again, I'll say, I'll say it again. I've been saying it every day. I don't understand his behavior, why it's getting more out of control by the day, unless he has simply no control over himself, because everything he's doing is driving his poll numbers down. Everything that I spoke to the president about yesterday in person at length on every issue, he has understanding, he has clarity, he has resolve, he has purpose. This guy sees things the way that you and I see them, which is through the lens of truth and reality. He understands what's happening in the country. He knows that there's a lot of suffering in a whole bunch of ways from the virus and in the, from the economy and wants to do everything he can to get us back on our feet. What is Joe Scarborough talking about? Well, notice how it also makes it a... Uh, he tries to make this a racial issue. Uh, oh, because of the disproportion. First of all, his thing about America is like number 131 out of 140 countries. Uh, that's if you don't adjust for population, which is which is stupid. OK, if you're not adjusting for population, it's a worthless, a worthless comparison. Absolutely worthless comparison. So why even do that? Well, if you're just a fr- if you're a fraud, if you have no intellectual depth or, or honesty whatsoever, which is certainly the case with with Scarborough, who who has flipped his entire political ideology, it seems, just because of his uh, his bosses, the people paying him over at MSNBC. This is what they demand of him. And then there's also the ego aspect of it, the ego aspect of it, that he is um, not in good with the president. He's not close with the president. That's also another problem. Right. That's something that he can't handle. Uh, because access for so many of these people is so very critically important. So that's that's what the what's. Oh, and then also on, on the racial side of this, that, oh, because there's a, a disproportionate impact from the virus on uh, communities of color, as you know, would be. This is I think I think that's the way MSNBC prefers. That's the preferred nomenclature uh, that somehow that there's there's like a racial angle to this when. First of all, Joe Scarborough does not care about the poor, does not care about minorities in any particular way at all. That's a fraud. And it's just nonsense. Okay, it's all virtue signaling. He's, you know, he all all this guy does is, you know, fly private between mansions and lecture all the rest of us about how, you know, we need to stay home and listen to the experts. And Trump is awful. And the guy's the guy's the worst. I I really I have to find somebody who thinks that this is a good show. I I don't know anybody who enjoys the show, learns anything from the show, but they keep it on the air. I think this is what Democrats watch because, yeah, see, even Republican Scarborough hates Trump. So it must be true. 
this is this is the scam. I mean, this is the fraud that's at the heart of the whole thing. But it's just uh, it's a shame. But what do you expect from NBC and MSNBC? And you know, they're just uh, it's bad places, bad places uh, that that do not do what they say they are going to do uh, for journalism, for truth, for the country. It's completely fraudulent. Oh, but Bernie Sanders also wants you to know that uh, Joe Biden has a good chance of winning. I, I, have, I have some thoughts on this. Take, take just a moment here. We'll come back and get into what, what the burn is saying. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, I'm not running his campaign, but what I have done with him uh, is to establish six task forces uh, which are dealing with all of the major issues in this country, including the economy, healthcare, criminal justice, immigration, education, climate change. And we have brought some of the strongest progressives in this country onto those task forces. So I would answer your question, Stephanie, by saying uh, I think there is an excellent chance that Biden is going to win. But in order to guarantee that, he is going to have to reach out to working class people and young people in a way that he has not done up to now. And he is going to have to make it clear. He stands with a working class in this country that is struggling right now. He is prepared to take on the corporate elite and the big money interest in order to create an economy that works for all, not just a few. Let's just be honest about one thing here. Bernie Sanders does not know what Joe Biden is running for president for, other than to be the Democrat running for president. But you know the truth is that if Biden needs somebody to pretend that he knows why he's running, Bernie will step in and do the job. That's right. Biden's like, oh, I ought to be president because, you know, and the thing and the, the place and uh, I'm, I'm here and I just, uh, you know, people tell me be president. So I said, oh, OK. But Bernie's like, look, what about the working class? What about socialism? What about this, that and the other thing? And Biden can just kind of co-opt that. So this is why they're working together on all these different committees and such, because they recognize that, you know, they're going to have to come up with a why for Biden other than not Trump. I mean, not Trump will go uh, will go far enough, I suppose. Um, but. They really want to get close to winning this thing or they really want to make sure they win this thing. They're going to be look, it's going to be close. Understand this. This is a prediction that I think if we were to mark this down, just give it some time. I'll, I'll look pretty accurate uh, when when push comes to shove. This is going to be a close election. I, I don't care what happens. Because you have 49% of the electorate uh, already just built in to vote for Biden. 49%. Maybe even, you know, maybe even like it's going to be 50 50 in the percentages, but it'll be 50.2, you know, against uh, 49.8, you know, something like that. I mean, it's going to be a very narrow choice this fall because even if the economy gets up and running again they're going to blame trump for all the losses this year and all the downturn and let's let's be honest with each other it's not trump's fault but it's a bad situation and trump knows he said this to me yesterday he knows look this is terrible with the greatest economy in the world this thing comes in it turns it upside down 
and we're doing the best we can to try and you know mitigate the damage from this in every respect. Like I said, though, he told me no second shutdown, no second shutdown at the national level, at least, which is important. But it's going to be a razor thin election and we have to understand that right now. Uh, we should not get complacent. Joe Biden is a horrible candidate. I mean, the guy really isn't isn't up for this at all. And even if he were up for it mentally and physically, there's no reason there's no good uh explanation for why this guy should be president. I still have some degree of disbelief that after all the candidates the Democrats put forward, this is what they ended up with. I mean, I still there's a there's a level at which I just feel like, how could this be? How, how could this be the best that they can come up with? But it is. This is where we are. And they're going to do everything they can. I mean, they're going to go kitchen sink, pull the plumbing out of the wall, go, you know, into the septic tank, rip that out too. whatever they have to do. They'll throw everything they've got at Trump. They'll bring everything they have against this guy. And that also means trying to trying to tilt the election, the actual process of the election in a way that will favor Democrats. Because as we know, they're always saying they want more voters. But what they really want is more opportunity to cheat. That's what they want. More options. There's people people go to prison every year for voter fraud. But then they tell us there is no voter fraud. Elections end up being hotly contested, even the presidency, as we know, from 2000. But, you know, Senate elections hotly contested down to sometimes hundreds of votes. So you don't need to cheat a lot to have a big difference in the outcome. And people do cheat every year. So when they say that there's no cheating, I mean, there's always election cheating. It's just a question of how much. Here's what the president had to say on mail-in ballots. Play 12. Yeah, mail-in ballots are very dangerous. There's tremendous fraud involved and tremendous illegality. Uh, they had 7.7 million applications sent out. They have, uh, in the state of Nevada, they have uh, tremendous, uh, they have a tremendous drive-in where you just mail in your ballots. You can't do that. You got to go and vote. People have to check you. They have to see that it's you. They're supposed to look at you and check you and make sure that, I mean, when you get thousands of ballots and they put them in a bag and they just bring them in and people start, who knows where they come from? It's so obvious. I mean, frankly, they should have voter ID. That's what they should have. Now, the way that ballot harvesting works is that they'll send people, and this is why Democrats want to do this so badly, They'll send people to pick up ballots and deliver them to the polling place. So you don't, even, you don't have to leave your house. That's what the Democrats always want. And remember, that means they're just ballots out there. And, you know, there's no you don't have to show up. You don't have to. There's no ID. There's no who it's just ballots are all out there and they just pick them all up and they drop them all off. Mail in also means that people now don't have to actually show up, stand in line and vote. I think it's important that you have to go and do this. I don't want people to be able to vote from their couch with a big plate of Doritos in front of them, you know, watching a sitcom and they're just, you know, click a button on a screen. I think that it's the process of actually showing up and voting as annoying as it can be. Sometimes we want people who care about the process to have their voice heard in this way. We, we, this shouldn't this shouldn't be like, you know, voting for your favorite American Idol contestant where you're on the couch and you press one button on your phone and bloop. And that's even beyond the opportunities for fraud and and all kinds of shenanigans that I think the Democrats see as just an, an enormous opening 
for their incredibly weak, but well, weak, but still electorally speaking, dangerous candidate in Joe Biden. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll call, everybody. It is time. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to be in on the roll call action. And uh, I'm so glad to be back with all of you. And just so you know, um, producer Mark on a scale of 1 to 10, I didn't even ask him, but we all know that it was an 11. That's how much he missed me. About a 3. <laughs> a 3 is pretty I thought he was going to go like a 2 point something. So I'll take a 3. A 3 is higher I'll than you expected, wasn't it? Yeah. The mm-hmm. good news is that is that the godfather, Michael Pelka, is a, is a super nice guy. And you know that uh, many, many years ago, he was one of my first guests ever on radio. I think he might have actually been my very first guest ever uh-huh. in a, on a show that I was hosting. Uh, he obviously did not teach you uh, about his clock. What's his clock? Just uh, using one. Oh, oh, you mean being on time? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. No, he's he's good that way. He is. I have a slightly different approach, you could say. All right. James kicks it off here with, uh, hey, Buck, I hope all is well in the Freedom Hut and to everyone in our great country upon which you expound so greatly, my friend. Well, thank you, James. You also have a great first name. I had to share this experience. My neighbor came to say hi out, my front, uh, out in front of my house, a normal exchange, as our brains so often think. But it came over to me after initial handshake. I shook his hand. Can I get in trouble for that? I wonder how many Americans are changing mentally in such a way as a result of all this tragic change. Thanks for all you do and the information you provide us all. Stay safe to all in the Freedom Hut. Shields High from Delaware. Hey, James, you're in Delaware. Nice. Wayne's World Party Time. Uh, Yeah, man, it's uh, a different thing now with shaking hands. I, I couldn't shake hands with anybody at the White House. Couldn't do it. So couldn't shake hands with the Trumpster. And I think we should salute. I don't like a lot of people did this. Some of the younger staffers did this elbow touch thing. I don't I don't like I don't like the elbow touch. Where producer Mark, are you an elbow touch guy right now? Where are you on this? Uh, I'm not a big elbow touch guy. I, I mean, if it's are a, you just a six foot distance, don't touch me guy. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there we go. Unless it's a close friend that I know, like, you know, they haven't been anywhere. Then sure. Yeah. But if I don't know where you've been, no, I don't want you near me. And that's in general before COVID. Shouldn't shouldn't I be able to go like visit my I had a I had a COVID test yesterday. I mean, theoretically, I could have been infected in the last 24 hours, maybe. But let's say I got a COVID test today. I mean, what are the chances if I want if, even for people that I mean, I know you're not going to answer this because you're not a doctor, but I was just thinking about this out loud. Shouldn't I be able to go see my parents? What are the chances that I that I am infected in like a course of a couple of hours after a test? I think it would be nice for some of us if we could at least get a test in the same day, go see higher no i'm not saying go see higher risk family members and smother them in hugs and stay inside all day with them and everything but if you just came back negative on the test you know aren't you do you know what i'm saying yeah i, mean, I, I think, I it's worth I think it, it more depends on like are your parents comfortable with that or are there are there people yeah, no, of course. that you're seeing comfortable i think it, it's more on the people than you personally yeah yeah because yeah. as i've already said i mean you know i'll i'm, I'm ready for this thing you know regardless although i, I think dogs can get it so maybe I should have little little Tallulah get a COVID test just to make sure everything's cool. Did you she bring Tallulah? Up, she sleeps on the foot of the bed now every night, and she snores like the little 
the little furry piggy she is. She snores every night, but it's cute, though. Snoring, dog snores are cute, I think. Human snores drive me insane. I can't really explain that. Yeah, that makes no sense. But did you bring Tallulah to the White House? Like, how did that go? Uh, no, Snow, Snow Princess took care of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very concerned. No, 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 we're good. Alice, hey, Buck, you win. I've been waiting for someone to mention acceptable risk, and you finally did. Thank you. I've had uncomfortable conversations with friends on social media who are, quote, willing to live differently, while I listen to my husband, who runs a media company, spend 10 hours plus a day from his makeshift home office trying to hang on, keeping employees upbeat, talking to financial people, and just trying to save everyone's livelihoods. This country cannot sustain this any longer. Keep banging the drum to get our economy going. You are doing great things, my friend. Well, thank you, Alice. And I can tell you, I, I, I pushed with everything I had yesterday, and the president knows. I mean, look, the president and I agreed. Everything we talked about, we ran a whole range of issues. We talked for a pretty long time. We see eye to eye on all of it. There was not a single thing that came up about COVID, about the deep state, about the economy, about the election, where I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really, I don't really see it that way, sir. You know, nope. We're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we just see things the same way. He knows, what, he knows how bad it is right now for, for millions of people across the country uh, who don't have jobs, who don't have paychecks coming in, who, who are really worried or who've lost their businesses. So uh, I'm trying to, you know, so I, I mean, I pushed on that, but. I'm pushing with somebody who's like, look, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I mean, it was pushing on an open door. So hopefully we get back up and running soon. And I'm just so, so for all of you, I just, you know, shields high. Keep, keep your head up. Keep your shield up. Focus on what you can do every day. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy. Take care of your loved ones. We're, we're going to rally from this. Um, and, you know, I, I know in the beginning it was all, oh, we'll all make it through together. And that was because we're all so afraid we're all going to get sick and die. Uh, no, what we really are afraid of right now for a lot of folks is what happens to this country, what happens to our livelihoods and to our futures if this shutdown continues. Uh, so just stay with it, push, stay focused, and we'll, we'll get to a better we'll get to a better place. I, I hope it's sooner than later. Stephen Buck, not seeing the Mighty Ducks. How can you call yourself a gray beard millennial and not having seen Mighty Ducks? Very glad you like Miracle. Good on producer Mark for Remember the Titans. Oh, it looks like we know who's pulling the, uh, pulling the roll call emails today, huh? So every time a positive producer Mark messages, message comes up, it's my fault? I mean, no, but come on. This is like if, if, you, if you had like your, you know, your, your Ann Ethel write in, this would be like, oh, oh, Mighty Ducks. Remember the Titans. Producer Mark is awesome. I'm I don't have an Aunt Ethel. Yeah, well, I, I didn't think so. Yeah. I mean, That's it's right. not my fault that I have fans, Buck. Uh, what do you want me I, to look, do? I'm not, not making up these they messages. Apparently, they apparently agree with you on sports movies, so whatever. Well, you just have poor opinions on that subject. Yeah, apparently. I got, I got lit up on that one. I will say, I actually, you know what? Friday Night Lights, I like the TV show. I didn't really even like the movie all that much, so I, I'd have to strike that one from my record. I like the show. I thought the movie was actually a little grim, a little too gray. Toby, I know now people are going to get mad because there are some people like that. They're going to mad at me for that one. But I, I would I would hear Here's what I would say. I would I would knock Friday Night Lights off my list and replace it with Miracle at number five. So there you go, everybody. And when you watch Remember the Titans, you might knock something else off. Probably Creed at number four on yeah. my list, which now I agree. My first I stand behind the first three on my list very firmly, which is and people could rearrange them. But I think Rudy um, uh, I was going to say Rambo. Whoops. Rudy, Rocky, 
and Major League are a great top three for sports movies. Um, but I think the other two, the other two were that was a, that was look, even the buck gets things wrong sometimes. All right. I'm not I'm not not perfect. I'm not perfect. I, I make mistakes, too. Uh, Toby, producer Mark, thank you for including Slapshot in the best sports movie conversation. You guys should consider Southwest Florida for the home base. Naples is a great area. I live 80 miles north in less urban country. I'm from Boston and will probably never leave here after 15 years. Yeah, no, producer Mark is, he says if the Freedom Hut's moving, it's moving to Florida. That's the, that's where producer Mark, he's already cast his ballot on that one. Why is the word if being used? If the Freedom Hut is moving? I'm just saying, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I look, it hasn't moved yet. That's true. But we have to wait for all this all to pass before we're moving across the country. But, you know. Yeah, that's, that's also true. But no, Florida would be a great play. Hey, look, El Rushbo is down there. Uh, my main man, Bongino, is down there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people that are, you know, Florida is becoming a real, dare I say, hotbed, because it's so warm, of uh, conservative media activity. I think also Newsmax has a pretty large facility down there, uh, if it still exists. I mean, not, not Newsmax, the uh, facility. I, I think it's still down there. B- uh, Mark, Buck, the alternative word you seek is chutzpah, the Yiddish word for moxie. How is it that producer Mark didn't immediately suggest this? Whoa, hey, you know, producer Mark doesn't, he's not the only one that knows Yiddish words, although he knows more than I do. Uh, they are right, though. Chutzpah is the perfect word. It's a good word, but is that a word that is in common enough usage that everybody would, would, would get it if I were to throw that one in there? Uh, I guess we are in a bit of a New York bubble. Yeah. So I maybe not. how many people would be like, what? What? Chutzpah? So, yeah, I don't know. Some people would get it. Some people wouldn't. And isn't uh, the, the old joke, the definition of chutzpah is killing your mother and father and then uh, asking for the mercy of the court because you're an orphan. I have never heard that before. That's an old that's like an old that's an old old timey kind of joke. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a really bad one. I, I didn't say it was a good joke. I just said it was a joke. Um, yeah, and I agree with you. It's not even fun. It's kind of like, ooh, Michael. We are your parents' age, and we listen to your show every day. Very good until you got into pop culture. You called Lion King Old Disney. Old Disney is Snow White and Sleeping Beauty. Lion King, Lion King is what our kids put in the VCR. Seems like a few years ago with music by Elton John. Oh, okay, all right, Michael. First of all, thank you for listening to the show, and I appreciate that uh, contemporaries of my parents love the show as much as everybody else. Thank you so much. Let, let, me, just, let me just clarify here. Um... I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, Lion King is not old Disney, but it's older Disney. I also completely and utterly love and celebrate true old Disney, which would be what you brought up. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Um, I don't know if you'd put some of the... Uh, well, no, I, I think it would have been like, when's 101 Dalmatians? I think that's from the 60s or the Isn't 70s, maybe. When did 101 Dalmatians, the movie, come out, producer Mark? Because uh, I think of that as being more old school Disney. 1996. Oh, no, that's oh, no, that's not that. That's yeah. that's pretty recent then. So, yeah, I, I consider 90s Disney's Disney. Look, it's over 20 years ago now. I, I consider that to be kind of older Disney. Listen, I got to say Elton John's doing another farewell tour. He's like in his 70s. Just saying. I, I don't I don't get this with these, you know, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, they had some great songs, but it's getting a little weird. You know, they're going to be they're going to be rolling these guys out soon and actually rolling them because they're not going to be able to actually get out there of their own of their own volition. I don't know. I, I, I don't think know. that's why Elton John's doing a farewell tour, because he knows, like, it's over. 
I'm going to do one last big tour. Maybe I'll perform occasionally, but I'm not going to do these crazy tours anymore. He wants to be a dad. Hmm. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's see what else we have here. Uh, Michael. Oh, no, that was Michael. Bob. Hey, Buck. I have a question I need to ask Snow Princess. My daughter is gluten-free, and since lockdown, I've been baking for the family a lot more. Can you ask her what type of flour she prefers to use? Almond flour? Rice flour? Is there a particular brand she recommends? Also, does she use different flour for different baked items, cakes versus cookies, etc.? I thank you, and my seven-year-old daughter thanks you. Um, well, Bob, first I would say, if you could, um, you know, my, my brother is the co-founder of a wonderful gluten-free baked goods company called Susie's. Uh, and they're online. You can go to uh, Susie's.com. Uh, so they they have gluten-free products. I love them. I eat them every day. And again, it's my, my, my brother's the founder, just so you, so you know. Um, but I eat Susie's donuts and muffins, uh, one or the other, not both usually, because that would be a little gluttonous, uh, each morning with my Black Rifle coffee. And as for making it yourself... Uh, I would say uh, cup for cup flour is what it's called. That's what that's what Snow Princess usually uses. But, you know, if you guys want, I was thinking about doing something kind of fun where because she's here enough in the Freedom Hut in some capacity where if you guys wrote in questions specifically for Snow Princess, I would let her answer them as part of the show once just so you could kind of see because, you know, Mark gives you more of a view of like what I'm actually like when I'm not doing radio sometimes. Uh, with the lateness and the profanity, and uh, but you know, Snow Princess might give you the difference—a different side of things where you have, uh, you know, what what's what am I like in other ways? I don't know. Uh, we've thought about. It. Obviously, it would have to be very PG. Everybody, don't sounds like ideas. a perfect Facebook Live, as I've said before. Yeah, maybe it would be a good Facebook Live actually. Um, so we've we've thought about that. So I'll I'll see. But yeah, cup for cup flour. If you're looking for it, that's the one. Um, and she's a she's a and she makes the best cookies I've ever had in my life. She is an expert baker. Uh, she's really, really good. So uh, she knows more. No, 101 Dalmatians came out in the 60s, according to producer Nick. Producer Mark. I, uh, this is what Google told me. I Googled I think it was re-released in the 90s. It's from the 60s. Maybe it was remastered or something. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. It was a re-release. Uh, even that, the first line of the... Uh, Wikipedia page says 1996. I'm not. I'm not saying you did shoddy research. I'm just saying. Oh wait a minute. I, that, that's the, uh, the live action. The live action one. Okay, yes. that's my fault. Different 101 Dalmatians. I grew up with the live action one. Just saying. Yeah. Well, the uh, the the my favorite uh, is the character. They have these guys who are like World War World War II veteran canines. Who are like Sergeant Tips. Yes, sir. The the Twilight Park. We shall gather together. We shall be these great characters. You'll never hear from you know the contemporary Disney catalog or the the newer stuff in the Disney catalog. Um, so yeah. Anyway, Bob, I hope I answered your question. The answer is try a bunch of different mixes: um, almond flour, rice flour. I actually I like almond flour a lot, but cup for cup flour you can just use in place on rest on baked recipes for for cookies and things like that. Just get the it's in a blue. Uh, blue bag you'll see cup for cup flour it's fantastic and check out Susie's uh, my brothers I'm telling you that it's the amazing amazing and they're frozen so what you do is you take them out and you put them in the microwave and uh, you know you put them in the microwave for 30 seconds to them really I do it for about 60 whether it's the muffin or the donut and they're delicious absolutely delicious maple and cinnamon and all these different great flavors uh, Charlene hey bucko two things does producer Mark ever lol um, he's so dry you could use him as a towel. 
<laughs> Just joshing you. Want to see if producer Mark will let this comment through? Oh, he did. He did. Of indeed. course. Yes. Oh, producer Mark. LOL. When I when I've no. said something, I know I've said something really funny. When I get him to actually guffaw a little bit, it happens sometimes. Very rarely. It's rare. I have to play the straight man on the show. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but no, he does he does laugh at things. He laughs at things. And uh, the, the the best thing is is the producer Mark. Uh, commentary that only I get to hear sometimes as well. The off-air producer Mark commentary, which I could describe accurately as colorful. Colorful. I'm from Queens. <laughs> yeah. Have you or producer Mark watched the Space Force TV show trailer? I imagine they'll make fun of Trump, but it looks like there's an AOC lookalike being tough on Steve Carell. Um, I don't know. Have you seen this? I haven't seen this. I've seen the trailer. It looks fantastic, and I will say... This was announced before Trump announced the Space Force, so it's not a spoof of anything. It's just um, the creator of The Office is teaming up with Steve Carell again, and it looks really funny. I mean, The Office is one of the great comedic enterprises of all time, so if this is kind of like that... And The Office was, was for its time, was kind of edgy, too, and it was, was actual comedy that anybody could watch. I thought The Office was fantastic for what it was. That's going to be the show for today, everybody. Make sure you check out BuckSexton.com and uh, you tell somebody to download the Buck Sexton Show. Spotify, iHeart app, Apple Podcasts. Check them out. Shields high.